Welcome to the inaugural episode of The Unbreakable. This podcast is designed to bring you comprehensive conversations that bring advice around topics like resilience, courage, and leadership. If you're looking for narratives that not only inspire, but also equip you for life's complexities, you're in the right place. We're committed to delivering this to you ad-free, no paywalls, no sponsorships, no merchandising, absolutely free. Our guest today has lived multiple lives in one lifetime. Gareth Timmins is a professional rugby player for the Leeds Rhinos and went on to serve as a Royal Marine. He penned his experiences in his book, Becoming the 0.1%, 34 Lessons of a Royal Marine Recruit. But Gareth's story doesn't end there. He has also engaged in high-risk security roles, ranging from serving as an armed bodyguard in Afghanistan to participating in counter-piracy operations off the Somali coast. Currently a security consultant, Gareth is already working on his second book due for publication next year. In this episode, we'll explore Gareth's trajectory, his transition from professional sports to a disciplined military lifestyle, his roles in private security, and his insights into life's greater purposes. We'll delve into the instincts and choices that come into play in life-altering situations. Without further delay, let's welcome Gareth Timmins to The Unbreakable. Gareth Timmons, welcome to The Unbreakable. Thank you, mate. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be on here, Luke. It is. I've, I've, had, the, I've had the benefit of knowing Gareth for quite a few years, and so uh, getting him on to this podcast uh, was, was certainly a coup, because I know he's spinning a lot of plates right now uh, with one thing or another that we're absolutely going to get into. But um, Gareth, would you be kind enough to kind of give us a, a bit of a background, a bit of a journey line as to, as to where we are today? Sure, mate. Yeah, so I... Uh... I'm a, I started playing rugby as a as a young lad. I turned professional. Uh, played for for Leeds Rhinos. Joined the Marines, uh, former Royal Marine Commando, and then I uh, been out to Middle East and done all the private security kind of stuff. University, done forensic psychology, and now doing a PhD in gauging atmospherics and the applications into into the corporate world. And now we can remove bias from decision making and, and whatnot and look at innovation and stuff. And then since 2017, I've just become like a published author, really. Uh, mm-hmm. Published a book that's gone on to become a bestseller. And then I've got another book that's coming out in June next year, uh, looking at the cycles and fluidity of mindset, which kind of breaks the contemporary, I think, understandings of like the stoic kind of mindset, get up and, and smash down walls and stuff. So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Excellent. Uh, I certainly want to touch on on both those books, um, and, and exciting to see you working on a, another venture right now. Um, and, and for anyone listening, uh, when they hear the things like Leeds Rhinos, I just want to emphasize Leeds Rhinos would be classes like the elite rugby league standard in in a professional way for the UK, um, a sport primarily played, I guess, in Northern England and uh, South Pacific and, and Australasia, but. Uh, Gareth represented the, the rhinos, which is at the very highest uh, standard over here. And so, uh, Gareth, again, taking us back, um, Royal Marines, um, what kind of was the driver in, in, in joining the Marines? Yeah, mate. So I, uh, what happened? I, I, I started, I, I 
I'd played rugby from a, from a really young age, mate, and uh, my dad was like really kind of authoritarian on on that venture and on me turning professional. And I, as a result, I turned professional when I was like fifteen, borderline sixteen. And it's all I wanted to do, mate. It was like I'd not applied myself at school. Uh, there were like quotes above my door, and everything was just completely designed for this these elite outcomes, basically, and to turn professional and whatnot. And then when I got to 19 years old, Leeds Rhinos offered me a contract till I was 23, a four-year deal. But the money was completely embarrassing, mate. It was completely... Uh, I, I just valued myself a lot more. And being quite stubborn at that age, the only place that you could go really from Leeds, like you've just kind of alluded to, was would, would be down. Uh, and I didn't really want to go down. I didn't want to go down. So I... I uh, I said, look, I'll sign on the contract until I were until until I were twenty, uh, and then if you st- if I'm still within your plans, then we can look at an, another contract. But they said, no, it's until you're twenty three. And at that age, if you're not established before you're twenty three, sometimes you've missed the window, believe it or not, into your full time professional career. So I basically left, stopped playing rugby, uh, kind of closed the door on that, and then I I kind of immediately switched attention to the Marines. The Marines is the hardest or classed as the hardest uh, basic military training in the world. And I just wanted to kind of just see if I had what it took to kind of to undergo that challenge and get, get to the end really, mate. And, and what was the process? Uh, how long was, uh, was Marine training? So it, t- it was, uh, it were about two and a half years, mate, from, from, putting in my interest to get into the very end of training and getting the Green Beret. We're about two and a half years, but uh, there's like all various kind of selection processes and all these different kind of stringents, psychometric and physical that you have to meet. And then I went down for the three day selection, which is absolutely hell or it was, it was just hell. Uh, And I think out of, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 people, there was about, maybe 22 that passed that. And then we three three weeks later, I went down and started training and it was 34 weeks long. For us, it's 32 weeks. But when we got down there, there wasn't enough people to take through. They just right. deemed it. If, if, we, if we went through, I think we had 19 people. If we went through with 19 people, we'd probably get to the end, there'd be nobody left. So we had to wait for another troop to come. So we, it was well, 34 weeks in the end. 34, 34 weeks. And joining such an organisation, um, how did that have an impact and how does that show up today? Yeah, it's a great question, mate. Uh, so I'd been at like, from being a really young lad, from like being like three or four years old, I'd been in these elite environments in rugby league. Like my dad was a, in, in what you would class as the, the football premier league in rugby league. He was a, a strength and conditioning coach of a, of a top flight rugby league team. So I used to be in dressing rooms from being a really young lad and being in all these elite environments. And then I went, we're in an elite environment at Leeds Rhinos and then subsequently an elite environment in, in the Marines, mate. And uh, I don't think, mate, often you don't realise where you are at the time. You don't realise that you're kind of surrounded by this this infrastructure, these people, this culture, this these social constructs and all this. And it's not really until you actually leave or you step away from it like I have done for, for quite a number of years now and you look back and you're just like, Jesus, that was an, just an incredible place to be for, for anybody, young man or, 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 or a young woman. 
absolutely, completely, uh, let it just put the cherry on the cake, really, the Marines did. It, it kind of, uh, I, I, find out, I found out where I was, what I absolutely was excelled at, but what I also hate, what really, I worked to the nth degrees in terms of what I liked and what I didn't like, and I, I fully understood myself. But I think, like, going back to your question, mate, it absolutely just solidified and, and made me this really, really great all-round package, really, in terms of my development and growth as a person, really. Mm-hmm. No, I hear you. And as it relates to any negative consequences, were there any were there any attributes that later in life you've had to shake the shackles off because they're not conducive to being uh, a citizen in, in, in the real world, in, in, a, in a civilian world? Yeah, I do, mate. Uh, again, mate, it's a, it's 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 a good question. It's I think the I think the military in general, uh, and I don't know whether this is the case for for for, for the guys in the, in the states and whatnot, but certainly in in the UK, there's a there's a there's a an institutionalisation uh, uh, element to it where you kind of. You, you you go through this indoctrination where you 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 kind of led to believe that you are above civilians, mm-hmm. uh, and you, you you hold higher authority, and you are more intelligent and you're more capable than your than your average civilian. And I think that that is detrimental to relationships between military and and and, and the civilian world. I think that that's completely detrimental, especially in these kind of conclaves where there is. Uh, military camps and bases and whatnot, I think it can be quite detrimental. But I think the biggest, most detrimental factor in that kind of relationship is when a guy leaves or a woman leaves. Because I think you leave, certainly from the Marines anyway, and I can't really speak for anybody else, but I do believe that it is kind of inerrant in everybody, that you leave with this sense of entitlement. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you think that you're going to walk into any job and anybody's going to take you. And the reality is, mate, that that nobody, uh, certainly when it comes to the Marines, mate, nobody really knows what a Royal Marine does or what a Royal Marine commando is. They think that commandos are specialization in the Marines. They think the Marines are on water. So you very quickly are faced with this realization that what you thought you were going to come out to, this sense of entitlement, is is not the case. And and the, the reality is, mate, there's 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 good and bad on either side of the military and the civilian world. And there's so many capable and brilliant and fantastic and every, uh, civilians. And it just, it, it creates just this illusion really. That's, that's completely detrimental. I, I think illusions a great way of putting it. Honestly, I couldn't, I couldn't put that. I couldn't find a better word. Um, f- for myself, ego status image yeah. were all like real driving factors that were slowing me down in transitioning and, and trying to make something in, in this other world and like you i always had the sense that i could make this work um one of the one of the staggering things i came across um in your journey was of course your your journaling uh which yeah. obviously created the conditions for your book which which we're going to talk more about um but what was the idea? What was the the driver in in starting to wanting to to document your thoughts and your feelings throughout this training? Yeah, it's strange, mate. Uh, so my mum uh, just before I went down to Limston Commando Commando Training Centre to 
to start training in 2005. My mum gave me a diary just before I got on the train at the train station to head down to, to Devon to start this training, which is six hours south in, in the UK. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can just remember thinking, what a bizarre gift. Like, she'd know that I hadn't really done any done very well at school because I had rugby, I'd signed professional really young, a professional contract. Uh, and she just said, look, just write something down, anything. Uh, I think it'll help you. Uh, and I'd like to read about what you're doing when you come back. So I took it and I just thought this is quite quite a, a bizarre gift, really. And then on the way down, I've always kind of likened that feeling of going down, especially on your own as a young lad. I was 20 years old, uh, just over 20 years old, of like being on a roller coaster where you're like you're strapped in and you kind of you want to get off the train, but you you, you kind of can't. You're on that journey. And I had this such a sense of like trepidation, but also uh, excitement and 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 whatnot are going down and and all these like weird mixed emotions and whatnot. So I opened the diary and I just wrote in there. Just I'm on. I feel like I'm on a roller coaster. I, I want to get off at each stop, but bloody bloody blah. blah, blah I, I feel this this great sense of excitement. Uh, and mate, it just started a chain reaction that I wrote in it every day. Then for almost a year until I got to the end and got the green beret and to this day it's it's never been done and I were writing in it every day I'd as you know yourself you, you go in the field you have to waterproof it and I'd waterproof it I'd write on my arms and on my hands and then cross deck it into the diary when I got out the field and just really stayed really really consistent and disciplined with with keeping it uh, once I'd started and I think the underpinnings of that mate were due to I've always had like OCD so once I started it I almost couldn't let it go. It were all niggling away every night, like a massive responsibility that I had to tick off. And yeah, and, and what I found, mate, is over the years, especially, yeah, I mean, throughout the years when I've been faced with like deep adversity and difficult times in my life, I've 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 wrote, uh, or I've wrote stuff down, or I've really come up with like ideas for future works, like the the idea for book two, mate. I. I asked a guy in a taxi in London if I could just borrow his diary and I wrote in the back of it a, an eight-stage cycle of mindset, took a picture of it, and there we are three years later getting published next year. So every, yeah, so every like, I don't know, every time I get into a bit of adversity, I, t- I tend to write, mate. Which is exactly where I was going to go. There's been periods since training where you've actually gone back to journal or, or to, to document again how you how you're feeling. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. I mean, how the, how the kind of, how the book came about is I, uh, I was working for a venture capital company in London and the CEO knew I was like into like personal development and all this kind of stuff. And, and at that point quite academic. And he said, uh, I've got you some tickets to go and see Tony Robbins, uh, at a convention, unleash the power within in, in London. So I went to that mate and he said one thing during that, which was everybody in this room is sitting on something that they know they should be doing, uh, that will change your life. Mm-hmm. And you sh- I want you to write it down. I want you to commit to it. So I wrote it down, and it was to 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 write up the diary entries and 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 get that done. And that again came at a, quite a difficult time in my life when I was there. And uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, throughout, I just journal. I write stuff down. I'm always kind of writing, writing, and pottering about and stuff, and just just being a bit creative, really, with it. I think that's excellent. I think it's 
also a sound course of action. And, and many people, I think, with mindset training um, are getting, you know, steered towards the idea of documentation and, and, and journaling in order to help them through so many things. Um, as it relates to, you know, all the journaling that you've done, what would you say is the most revealing or, or potentially even the most painful um, thing you that you've ever wrote? Um, and, and did that change uh, any any cause or did that promote any course of action for you? Yeah, it's an interesting one, mate. So I think when I was younger, mate, when I when I stopped playing for Leeds, I kind of got like I had about six to nine months of like really going off the rails. And within that in that period I was like constantly going out drinking, always kind of fighting. And I'd got heavily like kind of involved in taking recreational drugs. When I were writing the diary, there were like there were periods within the diary where I'd come back from these weekends where I know I'd been out partying and living my best life, so to speak. And in the diary, in the first couple of weeks, you could see that I was struggling uh, in in the exercise, in what I was doing, and in my writing. And I knew that that were because of the weekend. But I'd kind of, in a way, I'd admitted it from the diary. And I felt that it were a real kind of crossroads, really, in my publishing and authoring career and how, it, how that would potentially have damaged me commercially. Mm-hmm. And we had a couple of meetings with the publisher and whatnot and just said, look, this is the full picture and this explains that. Right. And I'm willing to write it and put it in, but I feel really uncomfortable about it because obviously my parents are going to read this, my kids are going to read this and and whoever else. So uh, in the end, mate, I spent about three weeks just basically filling in the gaps, really, and really brought forward some raw and explicit content about what we're actually doing in the shadows. And... uh, it were a really worrying period, mate, especially when it got published because I thought, you hear of all these, like, I don't know, Anthony Kiedis from Red Hot Chili Peppers that, that, that reveal all and it's kind of gets brought, it gets received well. But this were like a, a Raw Marine Commando. You're not supposed to be doing that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, or a training to be Raw Marine Commando. But it got received, mate. It's been received so well that I, can't, I cannot tell you how, how well just being honest and and having that integrity, it trumps anything. Mm-hmm. It trumps anything, uh, and it's it's a it's a it's a shady past, mate. Elements of it, but uh, I think when you honesty sets you free uh, in the end for for both you and for for other people. Everybody's dealing with their own kind of stuff and the demons, and I think that just being honest sometimes and showing people that you are real. Instead of say and this kind of make believe fictional character that you're trying to purport, I think it, it, it bodes well, mate. I I completely agree. One of the one of the life lessons that I, I've certainly come across um, myself is you know that ego, that status, that image, which I, in the back of my mind or my subconscious is thinking that's driving buyers, buyers to yeah. whatever I'm thinking, whatever I'm doing uh, and supporters and all the way it's just turning people off. 
every yeah. single hour, every single day. Um, in contrast to what you shared there, which is that vulnerability, that integrity, that trust, it feels like that's a honing beacon, you know, and, and the more yeah. you demonstrate this vulnerability, i.e. weakness, which isn't necessarily good for, we're not good as vets for demonstrating weakness, but we're not, mate, are we? No. And you, you see, you start to, people start to warm to you, which is, which is, um, yes, yeah, so being so significant. And, and it sounds like that for you too. And um, definitely wanted to ask, you know, your childhood, high performing rugby, um, premier performing rugby, you leave that, there's a void in your life. It sounds like there's a transition there where you went through a few months of, of not being necessarily the best version of yourself, which you, which you already yeah. alluded to. Yeah. Still that void needs to be filled. So we joined the Royal Marines. Again, we're yeah. back in the premier division of whatever we're doing. Um, and then I think five or six years later, um, you make the call, okay, I'm actually going to um, leave the Marines, leave the forces and embark on a new world. Um, what's filling that new void? Now, or back then, mate? When you left the Marines. Yeah, so, uh, mate, I left the Marines. Uh, it's a strange one, mate. So I, I love training. Training was, not at the time, but in in retrospect, it was like the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. And uh, I never thought that the Marines lived up to the training. I felt like we'd been sold short massively on it. I thought the Marines did more of the SBS role. And that's what the clever marketing kind of purports or did do at the time. I think we've kind sure. of, we have merged the gap. But when I left... I left because I wanted to, uh, one of one thing was the money. I wanted to start earning money. Money had become like a kind of uh, a more prominent thing that I wanted to earn as opposed to being a young lad. Uh, so I left and I thought, I'd like to get into private security. That were always kind of, the Marines were the stepping stone to that really, mate. Uh, I'm always been like a strategist, a strategist for the future. And the Marines were always, I just thought, It'd be great to get that achievement under my belt and crack that challenge, get on a few operations, but then that will provide the, the the keys to the to the private security world and the best jobs. And that's what I wanted to do, mate. And I, I uh, the void kind of were, were filled by I, I applied for Afghan and I applied for Iraq. And after two or three years, I got uh, I got offered Iraq uh, in Baghdad, and I got offered uh, Afghan Kabul with Tor. Uh, and I chose Afghan because I thought it'd be more, uh, more dynamic, and 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 there'd be more there'd be more risk in that, and there'd be more chance of kind of, in a sense, getting into a tear up, or or there'd be a lot more happening, uh, and that's kind of that's kind of where I went, mate. But I always, I were always really worried, and my mum's always said to me that she's always been incredibly worried about me as a person because. I've always kind of chased the adrenaline kind of stuff, which I'm sure you have, mate, as well. Like we've chased, we chased this living on the edge, adrenaline-fueled kind of thing. And it's like, you can't do that all your life. So what happens when children come along or you you, you meet a partner and, 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 and that or, or whatever, what, what happens then? But yeah, that's what filled the void initially, mate, was was getting into private. I did maritime security in Somalia first, then I went to Afghan. Yeah, um, excellent stuff. I, I don't know if you find 
a trend like I've come across in so much as for me, it, it now feels all about the journey. I, I think every goal or every event is is the anticlimax. It's it's almost living yeah. in the moment, being in yeah. the moment, and the journey for me has become far more fun than the actual nice. conclusion. Um, and it took me forty odd years to to realize this, but it, it it also feels like a liberating moment. Can you get yeah. a sense of that? Mate, I have just stumbled across this now and I'm nearly 40. I'm 40 next year. Uh, so, mate, I have like, I have always chased fulfillment in my life and this sense of being happy and being content. And I've been so disciplined and so like gone after all these kind of arguably big things mm-hmm. because I've just thought, if I get that, I'm going to be happy. It comes, I'm not happy. Yeah. I get, if I get that, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to do one of the hardest academic university courses. I'm not happy. Mm-hmm. Write the first book. Publishers, I didn't even have a pint, mate. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I, I just, just, I've always been massively let down by everything that I've achieved once I've got to the end. And it's exactly what you've just touched on, mate. I have like, I've come to this realization that it's the journey that I love and that's why I do it. I've always thought to myself, like, why do I do it? Why do I keep doing this? And my my best friends ask me, my family have asked me, why do you keep doing this? Why why do you not say enough's enough? But it is the journey, mate. And and it's Mm -hmm. only been recently that I've just thought, I love being on the journey. Sometimes you can have two or three months of, or four months of, just the mundane, nothing, nothing, ups and downs. And then all of a sudden you get a little tiny, small win. That only, it might only last for an hour or it might last for 24 hours, but that's enough to keep the stimulus alive and keep you in the game. And almost, mate, when I've got to like the end of these kind of things or achieved what I've set out to achieve, uh, it's been at a point where my, my mental health's dipped. And I've actually got quite depressed. Uh, And then I've had to quickly look at and redirect and look at something else that I can kind of go on to achieve again, just to sometimes keep my mental health in a good place. Yeah. And and that's where I've been on a journey. And you don't really realize it in the military, military because you've got so much around you and as you are signing up for the part of the covenant, which is to, you know, is to do everything you possibly can for the cause. Um, the military are also looking after your career. They're identifying yeah. where you need to go and what you need to do. So, and it's happening and it's happening in a routine so often where you don't really have time to stop and pause and go, you know, what's really next? Uh, my ego isn't being um, scratched to the level that I need it. But coming out into, into the real world, you know, for the first time, you're like, okay, this is this is a bit of a bit of a different setup. And then similar, whether it's seeking promotions or pay increases or buying a new car or an upgrade to your house or writing a new book or the latest iPhone. Um, moments after these have occurred, we're now on to what's the next thing. And it is realized yeah. is um for me at least, fulfillment's in the now. It's the now. Yeah. This is yeah. life's just made up of m- a multitude of moments, which are the now. Um, yeah. Nothing's going to happen in three months that's going to make me any happier than I am today. And, and understanding that for me was was such a significant piece. But um, it yeah. sounds like we have a similar thought process there. 
Yeah, absolutely, mate. I, 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 Luke, I can't, I can't uh, agree enough on that, mate. Completely. I've kind of arrived at that only in 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 recent in recent years, really, mate. I kind of, I think I was forced to kind of explore that kind of thought process and come to that realization after I published the first book because that is probably probably like one of the greatest achievements that I've that I've done is that and it just and it didn't make me happy so I would kind of force then to kind of really just take a step back for once and just think about why am I doing it mm-hmm. why do I do these things and when I think about it, it, it kind of, it did, it, 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 it shone a spotlight on the journey. Mm-hmm. And like you said, mate, it's, it's like people will say like, I don't know, like they could say to you, they could say to anybody, like, don't you think you've done enough? And it's all, that's a, it, that questions, that's okay. But it's like, what you've done is, is in the past, regardless of whatever you've done, it's, you, you, that's been and gone. It's what do you do now? What do you do today? What do you do tomorrow? So I think it's, I think the minute that you start thinking you've done enough, it's it's game over. Yeah, I I I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. Um, you did touch upon just before that um, some work that you did in the private world prior to getting out to Afghan, where me and you obviously uh, then met each other. Uh, Somalia uh, and your work over at Solace. Um, I, I know there's a there's a there's a pretty cute story in amongst this that I'd love <laughs> you to share with it. Yeah, yeah. So I uh, I went out to Somalia, mate, uh, in 2011, and. Uh, it was a time where I'd been on a like on a specialist kind of boarding team in the Marines uh, called FSRT, Fleet Standby Rifle Troop, and basically we worked in six-man teams going out to up near Iraq, uh, in between Iraq and Iran, and just uh, basically boarding boats in a non-compliant way that was smuggling either drugs, weapons, or anything, really, people. And... At the time, just before I went out to do private, uh, piracy in Somalia were just really, really kind of, it was crazy. Fine. So a friend says, look, you need to, you need to jump onto this. It's, uh, money's unbelievable. It's, it's just, it's a golden job. Yeah, so we, I got on a, a boat, uh, a vessel at Malta, mate, which was a Burmese vessel. It was carrying iron ore and... Uh, as a consequence, it had sunk into the water because it was full and it were taking this iron ore around to the Gulf. Uh, and the freeboard was, it had gone to like a five meter freeboard. So in boarding, it was just a dream because you could just step onto it. Okay. Anyway, I was the team leader. We got the weapons. I got the weapons in Malta off an agent. And then we went through this. I went through the Suez Canal with the vessel. And then we met another three of the lads in Suez, in just south of the Suez Canal in Egypt. Uh, Four man team, mate. I was the team leader. The 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 three, one of the lads had just come back from uh, from Baghdad doing CP. Uh, another lad, uh, ex special boat service SBS, and then another lad. They'd done multiple tours of Afghanistan, so we had a really really kind of rich and strong team in that. But I just by this point, like I'd previously mentioned, mate, I'd done like fifty Irish transit. So I just thought at some point you're going to kind of catch something up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going down the Red Sea to to a a very short 
section called the Babel Mendeb. And it's a, it's a little crossing, which is 13 miles, which you can see from either side. You can see Yemen on one side and Eritrea, Ethiopia on the other. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit like a, it's a bottleneck, mate, where pirates, pirate action groups hang out waiting to, to target and hijack vessels and the Salem then into, into Somalia. So we're going down and, uh, but by this point, mate, I, as I said, I was like team leader and I'd, the, the weapon should have been locked in pillowcases on a, on a combination, uh, lock. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the SOP, mate. If they were out of the pillowcases for any reason, you, you, you would have got sacked straight away, but I just felt that they needed to be out and they needed to be loaded and on the bridge wing. Uh, and it kind of broke everything, but I just felt that if the dynamics, the risk factors and dynamics of the vessel just kind of, it, it, it warranted that really. So we're going, we, we're sailing down and then all of a sudden, mate, uh, I'm down having uh, dinner with the captain and the guys went, Gaz, Gaz, you need to get up here quick. Uh, there's a, there's a, we've got a problem. And mate, I knew straight away and I like just jumped up to flip this table uh, massive adrenaline dump as, as you as you get and I'm running a run up about I don't know 15 flights of stairs right the way to the top of this bridge and I got there mate and I'm like hyperventilating I'm legs are shot to shit because I've just run up all these stairs and guys have put my body armor on me and I'm looked through the binoculars and you could see like these two speedboats coming in at high speed these two skiffs uh, on the port side and they were cutting us off from an angle where you just like you just know it's hostile you, you, you know, you, you you know when it's hostile. You just get that you have that risk literacy, don't you, of, of what's hostile and what's not. And I looked through the binoculars, and they were like they had weapons up in the air and and everything else, and RPGs and stuff. And I just like I cannot believe that this is happening. It's almost like I'd visualized it into reality. Mm-hmm. That's just how it, it it kind of felt. And there were a, I always remember, mate. There were a, guy, a little young lad about fifteen, sixteen, on the front of the skiff. And he was like laid on his side like you're on a deck chair on on, mm-hmm. on holiday around the pool, just really relaxed. And I just thought, if he's that relaxed, we are knackered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically, mate, it, after them two skiffs came in, there were another eight or ten, and they ended up being 12 skiffs, like 50, 60 pirates that had come to hijack the vessel against four of us. And we ended up being in a contact for about, about 40, 45 minutes with these pirates, the classic like Captain Phillips sketch. Mm-hmm. And... and uh, when you refer to contact, um, an engagement, uh, an engagement. Yeah. 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 Uh, we ended up in like engaging with them. They were, they were firing at us. Uh, and it, it, it yeah, it were, it were, it were absolutely unbelievable, mate. It was the first time in my life where I thought I was going to die. Mm-hmm. And having that, I was 26 at the time and having that, that realization, uh, that profound realization that I was going to die uh, were absolutely disgusting, mate. It were it were, it were awful. I just I wanted my mum, and I've spoke about this on talks before. I just were like, I want my fucking mum, and I never verbalized that, but internally that's what I wanted. And I had at that point, the, the team leader took command of the ship. That were the, that were in the SOP. So I had the captain asking me what I should do. I had the captains, the crew asking me what they should do. I had the team that I was kind of in charge of asking me what they should do. And all I'm thinking is I want to call my mum. Uh, I need to call my mum. And uh, at that point, mate, I were in kind of flight mode. 
but as soon as I took a couple of deep breaths and processing all this information, should we should we surrender to try and preserve any kind of percentage of life that we've got, or or what should we do? But we ended up fighting. But as you know yourself, mate, getting to that moment where you you're going to fight, especially when you're outnumbered, is such a significant point because once you're in, you're in. Mm-hmm. And there's no getting back out of it. You're either in and you're in both feet or you're not. So I just kind of got to this place where I thought we've just got to fight and we've got to go in with maximum aggression. And that's what we did. And it was funny because halfway through the this this attack, it wasn't visual, but I had this kind of subconscious understanding that we were winning. Mm-hmm. And as soon as uh, I kind of got that, that we're actually winning and, we, and I'm going to live, we're going we're gonna to survive this. It was just the most unbelievable feeling I've ever had. And was this and your was this personally your first ever engagement? Uh, it was, mate, on that scale. Yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah. It, it's it's amazing. All the training in the world, and you know, by crikey, we go through a lot of the training um, and you know, get those drills up to a, a up to a certain standard before we let loose anywhere uh, near yeah. uh, near uh, an operation uh and, and i personally remember my my first engagement um was on a jackal i was on a place called what we referred to as the marja gap and this was down in down in helmand and um we just briefly stopped uh, part of part of a recce troop we just we just briefly stopped um got a load of 762 hitting my door on the front of my jackal um and I thought um, I positioned and conditioned myself throughout, throughout my life to when this happens, it's going to happen, and it's going to be it's going to be Hollywood. You know what I mean? I'm going to be I'm going to be I'm going to be taking VCs, and you know, um, people are going to be answering questions at the end at the end of this. Contact. What, what you're saying is, mate, is that when this happens, you're going to spark up a cigarette, yeah. and you're just going to have a couple of puffs on that, and then you're going to pick your weapon up. Then someone's going to pay for it. <laughs> That's how I envisage it in my mind for the months and years prior to ever being in engagement. Um, yeah, and when yeah. reality crept in, I was trying to dig a hole in the footwell to hide. Um, I was trying to yeah. fit myself in, yeah. the, in the footwell. Um, I was commanding yeah. him. Momentarily, I looked to my right and my driver was trying to do the same thing. Um, I had a 50 cal gun on the back who was gone. I don't know where yeah. he was at this particular time, but he certainly wasn't putting any fire down. And um, I just, what felt like an eternity was probably two or three seconds. And, and yeah, yeah. something came over me, which is, I should do something about this. Um, I, I need I, to. I, I'm commanding a section here, uh, and I'm trying to dig myself into a footwell. Um, this isn't how I thought it would play out. Um, <laughs> and then within within a split moment, um, the 762 is going, um, then the 50 yeah. cars going, and then we're moving. And um, from that moment on, I never responded in the way that I did on that first moment. Uh, once that seal yeah. was cracked and the genie was yeah. out of the bottle, it yeah. was like, whatever happens yeah. whenever I, i'm good to go but that first yeah. that first moment when the real crack and thump hears like you heard in yeah. training year after year when that's actually there it was um you know it was it was it was a, it was a, it was a funny feeling um to, to, put it, to put it mildly yeah it's there's two things on this mate so i think and i've spoke about this on talks as well before 
how are you reacting that moment is is evolutionary generic for any human being. Any human being in that moment will react exactly the same. Is that uh, right? That's that's what I, that's what I believe. In that in the initial moments, you have that initial period of like almost like denial that it's actually happening. Is this like is this real? Is this actually happening? And it's not until you have them couple of deep breaths and you go from your your, your flight to your fight uh, that then the difference between. I suppose you want to call it civilian and military is is is, is quite significant then, and then that's when you you your training does kick in and you, and you kind of know what to do. But it's interesting, mate, because when that switch went for me, it was just like when the switch went in rugby. It's like you have all this anticipation and this nervous energy when you're in the dressing room and you're walking out onto the pitch because you know it's going to be a massively physical game and you've got the chance of getting injured because it's a contact sport mm-hmm. but as soon as you make that first contact all that nervous energy goes and you're just in a different place and that's mm-hmm. just exactly how I felt I was so mate I was so elated like I said when we were like kind of I felt like we were winning I like ran out we a tray of tea for the lads yeah. uh, and we, we all had a cup of tea like midway through the, the engagement and, uh, and then crap back on yeah it's it's such a interesting set of feelings that are released um at that particular time and um whilst i'd love people to experience it i'm glad they don't have to and 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 probably the closest proximity to some of that is when i see some of these extreme adrenaline spots you know when base jumpers are throw themselves off off towers that must start to uh hit into some of the same sort of feelings um that yeah you know that we that we felt out in 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 theater uh really what a a dynamic background you've had and then um you know you you mentioned you're nearly 40 is that correct yes mate 40 next year so 40 years in into this rich tapestry we call life. Um, and of course, it's full of uh, drop stitches and, and peaks. So far, buddy, um, highest point of year, highest point of the journey. Uh, it'd have to be training, mate. It would have to be getting to the end of like Royal Marines training and uh, and, and getting, the, getting the Green Beret because I just... I, the, the 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 human engineering element of that of that course is so unbelievable that no matter who you are and how capable you are, you never know that you can do it until you've done it. Even until the final hour, it could, something could go wrong. You could break your leg. You could fracture your, your pelvis or your your lower back, which which lads do on the thirty miler. Uh, and I had so many kind of hurdles and so many failures in training, you know, uh, uh, especially we got to like the, 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 the back end of training and I failed the endurance course every single run through, mm-hmm. which is the first commando test. And uh, I passed it on the day, but it was just this, by that point in training, mate, at the back end, you, you feel like you've, that's been your life forever. You can't, mm-hmm. it's, it's that raw and intense that, it just, it, this is how it feels, mate. It feels like you've been in a nightmare forever. It does. Like you've been in a nightmare forever. So when you actually cross the bridge and you get your green beret and your commando flashes, at that point, you kind of, 
I don't think anything can kind of beat that in terms of your professional kind of career highlights. It's 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 definitely up there, mate. Yeah, fantastic. Um, conversely, what was the what's the biggest uh, shell scrape you've had to dig yourself out of in life? Biggest uh, scrape professionally, or just just in just in, in general, just in life. Yeah, yeah. just in what, life. One of the most difficult times you've been through. Yeah, so I think I think. Again, and I think this kind of feeds into that kind of that uh, that kind of gunno kind of military mindset that can be quite detrimental to you if, if you're not careful. I I, I basically I spent uh, time out in the Middle East doing private and uh, amassed a certain amount of money. Not not. As, as we all kind of do, that's why we go out and do it. And I put, I pumped it into a into a, a, rent, a, a, a renovation, a barn conversion in in down south in Stamford. And I was absolutely relentless with turning this property around. And it, I applied all the military kind of mindset to it, the resilience, and just take it day by day, and we'll get there, we'll get there. And it was just chewing through money, so much money. And then eventually, mate, it got to a point where me and my partner split up. We'd grown apart anyway, but I think that was kind of the, the icing on the cake, doing that kind of project together. Uh, and because we split up, we sold it when it wasn't quite finished. Uh, and we kind of, well, lost all the money. In it. And I think that that, still to this day, mate, is uh, even as I sit here now, it, it, I find that quite hard to, quite hard to, to swallow, mate. I do, because it's like all that time in Somali, all that time in Afghan and, and everything else, and Egypt as well. Uh, was kind of all for nothing in terms of the sacrifice and the money that was earned and, and whatnot. And the the reason why I went out to do that, it's all been kind of lost. And okay. it's funny, mate, and you'll you'll be like this. And, 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 and I think the majority of people are, you always look for the lesson, don't you? What, what, what were to learn from that, from that kind of, and that I can't find in it. Mm-hmm. And I find, I find that quite hard to come to terms with. Yeah. Um, it segues really nice because you've documented 34 lessons um, in your book, Becoming the 0.1%, um, 34 lessons from a diary role marine recruit. Um, as we spend a little bit of time on this, and I know this has been out for a couple of years and is available through through many outlets, um, and I actually picked it up through Audible uh, and listened to, to the audio version. Um, what was the idea behind it? Apart from Obviously, the self-gratification of a lofty goal that you've achieved, you know, incredibly well. But what were you looking for the listeners um, and the readers to get out of this book? Yeah, so how it kind of came about was is that over the years from writing it, from from about, I don't know, 10 years ago, from about 2015, mate, when I left Afghan, I started writing it up and I would I wouldn't have the discipline to keep it up uh, and I'd, as a consequence I'd either lose the work or I'd file it on email and I'd delete it by accident and it were like this back and forth kind of thing and then when I were doing the house in Stanford which I've just touched on mm-hmm. I had a bespoke kind of uh, bookshelf made above the fire and I had all these amazing books and I had the diary, which were just kind of sat on the, on, on the shelf on its own, covered in dust because we were going through this renovation. And 
I know it sounds might sound like ridiculous to to kind of thing, but I felt sorry for it. <laughs> Do you know? I, I, I was like, I can't believe that that were like a really significant part of my life. And look what look at it. Like look what look how I'm kind of treating it. And it kind of came at this point where there were like a lot of Royal Marine documentaries coming out. And these documentaries were like, with the exception, I think, of Chris Terrell's uh, Commander on the Front Line, all of them were like really, really poor. And, I, and, I, and they were like somewhat embarrassing. Mm-hmm. And I felt like the diary, it had all the keys that everybody were interested in. It had all the raw, rich, it told the story exactly how it is and not watered down by TV documentaries because it has to do for PC reasons. But it were like the diary told somebody that's never done it exactly what it's like. And I just felt, mate, and this genuinely like I had a duty to get that out into the world and rewrite the narrative and give somebody a, a front row seat to, to exactly what is entailed and what you have to go through in your treatment and your mistreatment and whatnot. So I wrote it, I eventually wrote it up in 2017. And then long story short, I ended up getting a literacy agent, uh, a literary agent. And he said, you need to add in some lessons in there for the reader. And unbelievably, I just finished doing a forensic psychology uh, Mm -hmm. degree. And I took, for every week, I took out a key theme of the week. And I wrote in a lesson to do with mindset, performance, psychology, well-being, whatever mental health and social science, and wrote a, a lesson that the reader could use and utilize to develop an elite mindset and, and how they could become a well-rounded person whilst understanding philosophy, psychology, and sociology and social science. Uh, and that's what I did, mate. I constructed 34 quite random but all-encompassing kind of mindset lessons that you could that that were uh, absorbable to a layperson that hadn't studied psychology, but which we kind of know through pop psychology, which we all kind of we're aware of as being a human being. And yeah, it's 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 been incredible, mate. There's been like pregnant women that have got in touch and said, "Look, we've I've read your book, and it it got me through a really difficult pregnancy. It's got me through postnatal depression, right way through to people that have said." I was going to take me on life and I've read your book and it's, it's kind of, it's helped. And then people that have said I've, I've won a contract at work by reading your book. And it's just been, mate, it's been unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. What, what, what's kind of happened with that? Yes, it, it certainly resonates. Um, I've been through from start to finish and, um, Having been in the military, I can pick up on on some of the slants and, you know, uh, certainly resonate with me. Resilience was kind of the overall theme, um, yeah. the foundation to, to a lot of that, um, which I think is so prevalent in this day and age. Um, we're just a different society to what we once were with the digital age and the revolution of, of the internet. Sure. It's changed so many things. Um, for, for the listeners, um, if you could think or if you could harness some of the traits um, that would stand them in good stead to be able to lead with resilience throughout their lives, whatever they may be dealing with at a particular time. Um, 
what would be some some takeaways or what would be some um, early action items they could they could uh, align to in order to start demonstrating maybe a higher degree of resilience in their life? Yeah, so I, I mean, one of the con- we've been working on this with Surrey University, mate, for, for quite some time, and the Open University as well, and it's. We did a thematic analysis on the diary and we looked at some of the key themes that were, that, that went to the construct of mental toughness or mental strength or what were the key themes that enabled 11 to get to the end while 58 people failed the course. And for me, one of the key constructs uh, and one of the things that we flashed out was acceptance was when you're in uh, thick adversity or detrimental negative change in your life which we all encounter uh it comes under transition right uh you got undergo this process of uh, of grief uh where you 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 start a denial and then finally you, you end at acceptance uh and this model of grief uh mary ainsco is 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 it's a psychological kind of model of of, of grief and and coming through change the the four stages of this grief model they put you in the past you're dwelling on the past mm-hmm. and while ever you're dwelling on the past you're not effective in the present and in the future uh, so what i've done mate in, in 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 recent kind of months is i've been working with like kia motors uh on their leadership team and then the cultural change team and we've been looking at how we can embed acceptance into what they're doing if they don't win a deal or if if something doesn't go according to plan and it's all it all comes down to accepting things or trying to accept things really quickly because ultimately when you're dwelling on the past the future your body your organic person is is in the present and while ever your mind's in the past you're not engaged in the present and and therefore you're not effective uh, and it all comes down to resilience it's one of so, it's, um, so sorry sorry yeah, yeah. So we've we've kind of we've looked at that, mate. And, it, and what it allows you to do is it allows you to mitigate change uh, and get through change, which happens subtly or or catastrophic, catastrophically uh, in the moment. Uh, so that's what we've done, and we've we've used the same kind of constructs with 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 some rugby league teams, women rugby league teams, when they knock a ball on or they they give the ball away, accept that that's gone, get straight into a defensive line, and just bring your mind back to where you currently are. Yeah, it's, um, I couldn't agree more. Like genuinely couldn't agree more. Are you familiar with work by Eckhart Tolle? Not that I've, not that I've heard of, mate. No, no. Okay, I, a read I, I definitely recommend. Um, now the title sucks. It sounds like something from one of your Tony Robbins webinars. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's called The Power of Now. Um, I've heard of it. I have heard okay. of it. Yeah. It's a game-changing piece of work, um, and to, to your point, it's it's surrendering to the now. Uh, while yeah. ego's stuck back in what we did in Somalia and Afghan, or it's thinking about what our next high is through whatever goals that we're striving to achieve, um, the, the the presence of the now and you know surrendering yeah. to this particular moment, whatever that is for for yeah. individuals. Um, is so key and it's been a, a, such a game changer for me in, in evolving from where I came from to where I to where I am now and hopefully uh, I'm in a better place again in the future but uh, highly recommend that, that piece of yeah. work uh, by, by Eckhart Tolle and then um, the, the, the book itself um, kind of just gives an overview as to where we can find that right now 
Yeah, so it is available on Amazon uh, UK and and US, uh, which is the, I think the main place where it's kind of consumed from, really, mate. Uh, Waterstones, uh, W H Smiths uh, in the UK, everywhere really. Audible, Audible is 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 where it's. Audible's the, the the greatest. I think the greatest kind of cool, really, mate, because it's got me narrating the the me now. Mm-hmm. And the, the narration is done by a voice actor of me when I were twenty on the diary entries, and it's just it's just a great, and that's kind of that's been the most successful kind of version of the of the book has been audible, yeah, exactly. yeah. Uh, so it's uh, yeah, you can you can catch it on there. And then finally, um, gives a sneak peek as to what 2024 looks like. It looks like embarking on another uh, significant project with with maybe a, a new piece of work. Um, is there anything you can share right now? Yeah, sure, mate. So uh, about three years ago now, 2021, when the book first came out, uh, I think it was shortly after or maybe just before, but Simone Biles was uh, at the Olympics and she withdrew due to mental health. Uh, and Piers Morgan jumped straight on it and said that she uh, she didn't have mental health. She withdrew because she was mentally weak and she didn't think that she could win. And a load of people jumped on the bandwagon of this and I just thought, this if this is what people think, this has to be, we need to rewrite this. So I, I was sat in the back of a taxi when I read the article on, on Twitter and I wrote down in the back of somebody's diary uh, this seven cycles of, of mindset that I think that you hit when you've got a growth mindset, when you're chasing a particular goal. So removing the stimulus, uh, the anticlimax of success, maintaining performance, uh, cognitive exhaustion, and all these different kind of stages that you potentially go through. And I wrote this down and I worked on this model for about two years. And... Uh, it's got the potential to kind of, in a way, just completely rewrite the, the, the rule book on mindset. And, and coming from my experiences from acad- academia and, and, and various other places and, and psychology and whatnot, and just it, pr- it paints a picture of mindset being fluid uh, and open to infiltration, d- despite how strong and mentally tough you are. We've all got us triggers that can potentially derail us. Uh, And it just paints a more, I think, realistic picture than the one of just get up. There's no such thing as depression. There's no such thing as whatever. Just it's a choice. Get up and get on with it. It's kind of, it's destroying that narrative. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Um, well, I can't wait to, to get my hands on on that. Uh, make sure there's some copies flying their way over uh, the pond. I will, mate. Uh, yes, there will. There will, of course. Was in Canada um, and and the states, uh, and then and then very finally, uh, just to tease out, um, where can people get more of your work? I am, mate. Yeah, I'm on all socials. I'm on uh, yeah every social you could you can you can think of, mate. I'm Gareth Timmins author on Instagram. You can get me on there. That's probably where I'm the most active, really. Threads. Again, Gareth Timmins author, Gareth Timmins books on uh, Facebook, Gareth Timmins author on on Twitter. It's a similar theme. Fantastic. Gareth, it's been a pleasure, buddy. Cheers, mate. It's been a pleasure, mate. Mm-hmm.